Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Those of you who are familiar with my garden radio shows here in Northern California, which I've been doing since 1982, might be wondering, well, what's the reason for this podcast? Well, even though I'm fond of saying all gardening is local, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred will be reaching out to gardeners wherever they may happen to be with garden tips and growing advice that apply just about anywhere. We'll strive to explain garden jargon in terms anyone can understand. And we'll be talking to garden experts from throughout the world who will share their vast plant and soil knowledge with us. And we'll be answering your gardening questions. Think of us as your one-room schoolhouse for growing your backyard garden of fruits, vegetables, and oh yeah, flowers that attract the garden good guys, beneficial insects, and pollinators. And we'll have some fun too. Let's get started. the inaugural episode of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, let's first of all address the 800-pound elephant that's in the room, and that, of course, is the coronavirus outbreak. It's forced many of us to shelter in place for several weeks. This is a lot of downtime. Many families and singles has given people the opportunity to maybe stop and think about what is really important. And perhaps one of those realizations is that to maintain your health, well, you need to eat healthier. And that's a great reason for starting a backyard or a front yard garden. The healthiest food you can eat is the food you grow yourself. You know exactly who handled it and what, if any, pesticides were involved in the growing of that food. Uh, by the way, speaking of pesticides, here on the Garden Basics podcast, we are going to emphasize integrated pest management. Now, what does that 50 cent term mean? Well, it's controlling pests and diseases, starting with the least toxic solutions. And that includes cultural, physical, and mechanical controls. I'll give you an example. A lot of people have plant problems. Maybe it doesn't grow. Maybe the leaves aren't very green. They're kind of yellow. Maybe it's not producing vegetables or fruit. Is the plant located where it should be? In gardening, it's very important, the right plant in the right place. Now, for example, in our area here in Northern California, roses won't bloom in full shade and tomatoes won't produce fruit in full shade. They need sun. On the other hand, there are plants here that do need shade, like winter Daphne or Impatience or Hydrangeas. They would croak in full sun here. Know the sunlight requirements for your plants wherever you may live. And so often on a seed pack or on the instructions on a plant that you may purchase at a nursery, it'll say something like full sun or part sun or part shade or full shade. What does that mean? Well, in the case of full sun, generally that's eight hours or more a day. However, for full sun plants, sometimes six to eight hours of full sun is enough. Four to six hours is considered part sun or part shade. Usually anything less than four hours a day of direct sunlight is considered full shade. Generally speaking, for most of the vegetables that you enjoy growing, they need full sun. Some exceptions throughout California might be greens. Your lettuce, spinach, chard, things like that. They might need afternoon shade. But if you live in cooler climates, you could possibly get away with growing them in full sun. And that brings up the fact that all gardening is local. 
copy your neighbors. Take a walk through your neighborhood. Mimic the garden successes that you see. Where are they growing their plants and they're very successful with? Is it in sun or is it shade? Copy what they're doing. Even in your own yard, there are microclimates where certain plants will have a better chance for success. Get yourself a digital thermometer that remembers the high and low temperatures and place that in various parts of your yard. Monitor the morning low temperatures in various areas of your yard to find possibly the warmest area for tender plants. But remember, there's nothing wrong with copying your neighbors. So to sum up, growing where the plant is supposed to grow, that would be a cultural technique for success. Physical controls might be pulling weeds by hand. Mechanical controls might be putting on a hot cap or a row cover to protect plants from cold or from pests. We'll reach for the synthetic bug and weed killers only when we're out of natural options. On today's show, we're going to probe some garden tips to give you a head start on what to avoid on your way to a successful garden. We'll explore an idea that's resurging in popularity. It's called the Victory Garden. Only here in the 21st century, it's not about helping our troops defeat the Kaiser or Hitler. It's about helping your overall health with good food that you grew, which, by the way, will probably involve plenty of healthy exercise for you. We're going to be talking with Diane Blazek. She's with the National Garden Bureau. She has tips for starting your Victory Garden 2.0. And then a little bit later on, we'll answer some of your email garden questions as well. And we have details on how you can call in questions, too. And we'll do all of this in less than 30 minutes. When the Victory Garden Manual was first written in 1943, it was pretty easy to come up with reasons to grow your own vegetables. After all, it was wartime. Food was scarce. And the food that was available may not have been the healthiest or the freshest because a lot of that was going to the war effort. People responded. And in 1943, nearly 40% of all fruits and vegetables grown in the United States were grown in-home and in community Victory Gardens. That's uh, pretty darn impressive. Well, maybe it's time for Victory Garden 2.0. That's the thoughts of Diane Blazek. She's the executive director of All America Selections and the National Garden Bureau. And maybe in this uh, time of coronavirus, Diane, uh, we need to start our own gardens for many reasons, not the least of which is, hey, we might be sheltering in place. Give us something to do. You're exactly right. Yeah, it's it's not only something to do, but any of us who have been gardening for a long time know that just getting out in the fresh air is is such a well-being type of thing. You get out, you're getting vitamin D, you're exercising, and it just makes you feel good. It gives you a sense of accomplishment to work in your garden and grow your own produce. So yeah, there's many reasons why now is a perfect time. It reduces stress. It, it increases uh, the amount of healthy food that is available to you. You don't have to go to a grocery store for a lot of things now. So uh, yeah, and this is the perfect time to get started on a garden, isn't it? Oh, it really is. Yeah, I, I know that there are some areas of the country that have already been able to start. I'm in zone five. I'm in Chicago. So a couple weeks ago, I started some seeds in my basement. And it'll be a little while before I can actually harvest. But I, I think Audrey Hepburn had this great quote about gardening is a way that you're looking for the future. And I'm probably messing up her quote. And I apologize to her. Um, but yeah, I think in this time, we need to be looking forward with a positive eye. 
You know, getting back to the whole concept of Victory Garden 2.0, we should point out that there was a book back during World War II called The Victory Garden Manual, and the author of that book has something to do with the National Garden Bureau. He certainly does, and it's it's such an honor to, you know, bring all this back and talk about it again. So Mr. James H. Burdett. He had worked for a seed company as well as being a newspaper journalist. He had the idea for National Garden ba- Bureau back in 1920. So he launched this nonprofit organization as a way to s- disseminate gardening information to other journalists. And that is still the model we're using today. But then because the Victory Gardens came about in World War II and the, I'm sorry, in World War I, and then they had a resurgence in World War II, this magazine, this book was published in 1943. So, you know, he had to start working on this probably about the time of Pearl Harbor and then published it in 1943. And it was just such a good guide for anybody who wanted to start their own victory garden. And that's the place to start even here in the 21st century with uh, some of the tips he wrote about in the victory garden manual. And probably not the least of which is Know where you are. you got to garden according to your zone. As this guy on the radio here locally often says, all gardening is local. It really is. Yeah, that's a good tip. And and just from being on social media and talking to people, a lot of them don't even realize you need to know your growing zone and what that means. So we put that first and foremost as the number one thing you need to know subsequently means you need to know your last frost date, which we put that further down the list and probably they should be together. But I was just trying to do it in order, like step one, step two. So know your growing zone and know your last frost date are two top tips that we wanted to start with. One of the more accurate uh, growing zone maps for California does not use the USDA zones. What they use are called the sunset zones, and that would be from the Sunset Western Garden book. And uh, even though, you know, the the sunset folks are falling on hard times like a lot of publishers are, the book is still available and it is really a necessary reference for gardeners here to find out what you can grow in your specific area of California. In fact, if you look around, you can find the Sunset National Garden book, which lists the zones throughout the entire country, almost like the Western Garden book. So if you can find that book, that's also a nice uh, book to have on your on your garden shelf. I guess, too, when it comes to um, planning your garden, and this is the time of the year to plan your garden and maybe plant it here in California, it would be next month for summer vegetables in your part of the area. It's probably Mother's Day in May. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. Probably for a family that's uh, sheltering in place, uh, make a list of the items your family enjoys eating. Exactly. I mean, I I gave an example um, to somebody else earlier that I said, you know, if your family's not going to eat spinach, don't plant spinach plant something else where we're you're, you know the space is at a premium so you really need to grow what your family will eat and you think also okay when all this produce comes ready and it's it's being harvested what if you have too much do you have people you can share it with can you freeze it can you can it so just take all these items into consideration when you're deciding what to plant and how many to plant Oh, boy, you sure touched on a, a sore point with me as as far as people who grow gardens and then watch it go to waste. If you grew it, eat it. And the only way you can eat it when it's out of season is to preserve it. And I'm so glad that uh, 
California's Cooperative Extension Program has master food preserver programs throughout the entire state, and they're a great go-to resource locally here for finding more information about to preserve what you grow. They are an excellent resource. I heard them speak last summer, and I was just amazed at how progressive California's extension group is. They're very active. And then, of course, you got to decide, do you want to grow it from seed or do you want to go it, grow it from transplants? And I, for beginning gardeners, I always suggest, well, let's start off with the bike with the training wheels and do it from transplants. But you have some ideas as far as, OK, what plants do you choose that would be easier to grow than others? Right. And um, maybe if you're a new gardener, you haven't heard the term uh, direct sow. And speaking about is looking at some charts and, you know, it was not available back in 1943, but we have a lot of good online tools now that shows planting dates and days to harvest. You you can always research, go online and Google number of days to harvest for a beefsteak tomato and see what kind of numbers you get. They will vary. Um, and it depends if you're planning with heirlooms or hybrid, you know, some will be shorter, some will be longer, but yeah, that's very important. And I totally agree with you. It's a lot easier to just go to your local garden retailer and get transplants, but then there's other things that you may want to direct. So, um, and they would be quick crops, something like radishes or lettuce or spinach, something like that. So there's a lot of good options. There are, and fortunately, the uh, nurseries here in California, the retail nurseries, are still open for business because they, too, are in the food business, and that's why uh, they get to be open, and we're, we're glad about that. Uh, yeah, definitely, I would suggest, too, that uh, if you're starting a vegetable garden for the sa uh, first time, choose hybrid varieties over heirloom varieties. I mean, you can pick one or two heirlooms, but for the most part, keep it at hybrids because they usually will be more prolific, more productive, and they're easier to have success with. Right. Because of the fact that I run the uh, All-America Selections, we do plant trialing. And yeah, a huge majority of our new introductions are hybrids. And I say that same thing. For new gardeners, if you want to have more of a guarantee of success, plant the things that are going to be easier, that are going to be disease resistant. You don't want to put all that work and money into it and then just have them succumb to disease or something. And as we mentioned, this is the perfect time to plan your garden. And uh, what are some tips for planning your garden space? The old traditional victory garden was typically done in a garden plot or, you know, a certain size space in your garden. Not everybody has that anymore. So you really need to take a look at what kind of space do you have? Where is it located? Please, please, please make sure that it gets enough sun. I know that way too many people think, oh, maybe just a little bit of shade and I can plant it there. You're probably not going to be as successful. You can research. Yes, there are some things, maybe some leafy greens that'll grow a little bit of shade. But for the most part, you definitely need some sun. And then you just have to decide for yourself, uh, are you going to tackle growing this in ground? Do you have some raised beds? Do you want to buy or make some raised beds? Or do you just simply want to, okay, I have a window box or I have this 16-inch container and I want to grow a little determinate tomato. Those are the things to take into consideration and go from there. I guess we should uh, define those terms because a lot of people get confused about it. Full sun is generally, ideally, more than eight hours a day of direct sun. It could be six to eight hours. Partial sun is four to six hours. And anything less than four hours is usually considered full shade. 
Right, right, yeah. So, and I agree with you. It, it, that that terminology and which plants you can grow where. I'm glad you're adding in the California aspect because we we try to think nationally, which is kind of hard because it is <laughs> like you say, it's local. So it's hard to put in all those little asterisks for different locations. Two of your top ten tips uh, you can almost combine into one. And you talk about companion planting, and you also say, don't forget to plan for pollinator-friendly flowers. And I tell you, a lot of your vegetables, when it comes to fighting off pests, if you've got pollinator-friendly flowers and perennials that attract beneficial insects, they can go a long way to reduce your use of pesticides. Oh, absolutely. So you're you're killing a couple birds with one stone there by planting the flowers. But the reason we talk about the pollinator. I mean, yeah, the pollinators need our help. We need their help. And I think a lot of people might have um, gone too far in one direction saying, well, I'm just going to do 100% vegetables, forgetting that they need pollinators to pollinate certain of their produce. Exactly. Uh, of course, soil is always an issue if you have poor soil. And some people think they have poor soil, but it really isn't. It just needs perhaps to be amended. And that's where composting comes in. Exactly. And so great time now. You're at home and you're you're using some of the produce from the store and you need to get rid of the peels of the core, whatever the case might be. Start a compost pile. Super simple. You'll be so happy you will. Your garden will be better off. And for the kids that like to play with worms, vermicomposting is catching on here in California. Having a worm bin and then using uh, all those kitchen scraps to feed them. And then what, what comes out of the worms is called worm castings, which is a great soil amendment. Yeah, and there's a lot of great resources on how to build your own worm bins. I, I love that concept. If I had little ones, I would be all over that. Anything else you want to mention here? Um, our website, ngb.org, tons of information, a lot of additional links on our Victory Garden 2.0 blog. So spend more time in your garden than on your website, but the website will definitely give you plenty of resources to be successful. Check uh, local resources with the University of California Cooperative Extension. That would be the Master Gardener Program in your area and the Master Food Preserver Program and you too can have a Victory Garden 2.0 to get us through this mess. Diane Blazik, she's the executive director of both the All-America Selections and the National Garden Bureau. Diane, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you very much and happy gardening. Here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we want to answer your garden questions. A couple of ways you can do that. Give us a call, 916 916- 292-8964. That number again, 916-292-8964. You can either leave a message or you can text that number as well. Be patient. There are a lot of rings before we pick up. Another way is email. Send your garden questions to fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. One benefit of email is you can attach a photo of a bug or a plant that you're trying to identify. We're looking forward to hearing and seeing your questions. And thanks for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I appreciate all your support and all your comments. Let's delve into your garden questions. You can send them again via email to fred at farmerfred.com. And you just heard how to send them in via a telephone. But uh, let's go to the email first. Since it is April, getting a lot of questions in about, I want to plant some tomatoes. Which are some good ones to grow? 
Let's narrow that down. How about some tomatoes that a beginning gardener could choose? I call these the training wheel tomato varieties that are guaranteed. Uh, well, I won't say guaranteed, but uh, I bet you'll have success with them. First of all, tomatoes are easy to grow, but they need full sun, regular water, and fertilization because they are quick growing plants. Generally, soils don't have enough nitrogen in them naturally to grow a full size tomato plant all in a few months. So they may need some extra fertilizer. And for the best production of tomatoes, you want to stake them so they grow upright or cage them. Now, what do I mean by a tomato cage? I don't mean these flimsy little cones that you might see at nurseries that are only two or three feet high, not for a full size tomato plant. Make some cages yourself out of reinforced concrete wire. Go back to your Home Depot or Lowe's store in the back where the concrete and bricks are, and you will find concrete reinforcement sheets. These are made out of 12-gauge wire. They're generally 4 feet by 5 feet with 6-inch mesh squares. When you take one of these sheets and fold it into a circle, you've got a perfect tomato cage that is about four feet tall and maybe two and a half to three feet wide. That's perfect for a tomato. You can fasten them with zip ties or you can use your barbed wire tool if you have one of those and uh, do some cutting and wrap the wires around each end. If they don't have the concrete reinforcement sheets, they may have a 50 foot roll that basically you'd be doing the same things with. But you would need that barbed wire tool again to cut that 12 gauge wire. Plus, these cages will last you a lifetime. If you've never grown tomatoes before, there are a few questions to ask yourself before purchasing all those varieties that you're going to see at the nursery. Do you want tomatoes for eating fresh or for canning? Well, if preservation of the harvest is your goal, if you want to make tomato sauce or can whole tomatoes or tomato paste, you want to select varieties that tend to ripen all at once, not throughout the entire season. The varieties that tend to set their fruit and ripen at the same time are usually referred to as determinate varieties. An indeterminate variety, on the other hand, is your main season tomato that will produce tomatoes throughout the growing season. But for canning pur purposes, you want a lot at one time. Most paste tomatoes are determinate varieties. Some of the better selling paste varieties include Heinz 2653, Roma, San Marzano, but there are larger tomatoes that are of suitable for canning, such as Celebrity, which is considered a semi-determinate, and there are some smaller tomatoes that are very popular that will can well too, such as Juliet, which produces throughout the spring, summer, and fall. By the way, I'm also fond of saying, if you grew it, you better eat it. And coming up on future episodes of the Garden Basics podcast, we will have food preservation experts who will tell you how to can, freeze, dehydrate your produce that you grow in your backyard. Now, do you know your taste buds? Do you prefer a sweet tomato or something more of an acidic balance? If you like sweet, choose a cherry tomato variety. Some of our favorites include Sun Gold, Sun Sugar, Sweet 100, Sweet Million, or the Heirloom Variety Gardener's Delight. If you're looking for a tomato that has more of a balanced flavor, full-size tomatoes that are really good for slicing for your sandwiches, Ace, Early Girl, Celebrity, and Big Beef. But there's plenty more. Now, you're going to see tomatoes that are either heirloom or hybrid. What's the difference? 
Heirloom tomatoes are usually tomatoes that have been around for a half century or longer. They tend to be classified as heirloom. If you grew that tomato plant by itself, it would produce tomatoes whose seeds you could plant next year and you'd get that same tomato. You can't do that with hybrid varieties. The trade-off being hybrid varieties have been bred for usually greater production, earlier production, more disease resistance. So you have to choose heirloom or hybrid. With heirlooms, the trade-off is, well, you're going to get some great old-fashioned flavor and juiciness, but they may have poorer production and they'll be more susceptible to pest and disease problems. So if you've never planted tomatoes before, if you're new to gardening, start with a couple of hybrid varieties and perhaps one heirloom variety. Now that brings up a good question too is, all right, how many tomato plants should I grow? Well, don't let your eyes get bigger than your tummy. Generally, one plant per person in the family is enough, generally speaking. However, I myself, I would always have three tomatoes. I'd have a cherry tomato variety. I would have a main season variety. And I would have either a paste tomato variety or a large slicing tomato, depending upon how I'm going to be using the tomatoes through the year. So what would I choose? Well, I would choose proven performers, a cherry tomato such as Sun Gold or Sweet Million, a prolific main season tomato such as Ace 55 or Early Girl, a paste tomato, oh, probably Roma or San Marzano, and maybe, maybe a fourth one, maybe a large slicing tomato for sandwiches such as Big Beef or Lemon Boy. But remember with the bigger producing varieties, those ones that produce large slice, slicing tomatoes, you may not get as many tomatoes as you might like. Every area seems to have tomato trials every year. Here in Northern California, some of the top tasting hybrids at taste tests throughout the area have included Sun Sugar, Sun Gold, Super Sweet 100, Early Girl, Lemon Boy, Better Boy, and Big Beef. Most of those tend to be on the sweet side, except perhaps for Lemon Boy, Better Boy, Big Beef, and Early Girl. Some top-rated heirloom varieties have included Amana Orange, Druzba, Dr. Weiss's Yellow, Goliath, and persimmon. I know the local master gardener group here in Sacramento County has their favorites and uh, talking to those people. They like the Ace, the Better Boy, the Big Beef, Celebrity, Early Girl, Lemon Boy, Parks Whopper, Whopper VFN. Some of their heirloom favorites include Abe Lincoln, Amana Orange, Aunt Ruby's German Green, Caspian Pink, Cherokee Purple, Paul Robeson, and Julia Child. And for canning purposes, the paste tomatoes that a lot of master gardeners around here prefer include fresh salsa, Italian gold, orange banana, and super marzano. And cherry tomatoes, oh, they like the black cherry, the green grape, the juliette, the sun gold, the sun sugar, the sweet 100, and the sweet million. Now, if you're still confused about all the varieties available, another way to choose tomatoes might be, as you're looking at the little plant tags on the tomato plants, is look for All America Selections winner. Just do an internet search for All America Selections, and you'll see a list of tomatoes that have proven themselves to grow well throughout the entire country. And finally, in this era of shelter-in-place quarantining, we don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, we're in mid-April now, and there's a good chance it could last through the month of May, maybe even longer. How long are we, are we going to be stuck in our homes? Well, we need to get into the right mindset about quarantines and shelter-in-place. 
Brooke Anderson works for the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, and she came up with a list of six daily quarantine questions. And maybe this will resonate with you just like it resonated with me. Question number one, ask yourself, what am I grateful for today? You know what I'm grateful for? It's spring. It's time to plant. Question number two, who am I checking in on or connecting with today? Don't put yourself in isolation if you don't have to. Maybe call somebody who's living alone. Maybe take a walk and talk to your neighbor. All you have to do is stand six feet away. And that sort of uh, answers another question. How am I getting outside today? Well, of course, gardening is great exercise in your backyard, but maintain social contacts. One of the easiest way to do that is simply taking a walk through your neighborhood. You don't have to have a conversation. Maybe just say hello. Maybe just smile. Smiles are free and they go a long way. One thing in this era of quarantines and sheltering in place, what expectations of normal am I letting go of today? And it seems like every day we're learning something new about uh, how the future may treat us. Maybe we better get used to empty store shelves. Maybe that new normal is working in the backyard more with that garden. Another question to ask yourself, how are you moving your body today? Maybe it's time to search out those yoga lessons on YouTube. But my mantra, and I've had this mantra ever since I had open heart surgery back in 2012, is the way to lose weight, shut your mouth and move your feet. It really does work. And finally, the sixth daily quarantine question to ask yourself, what beauty am I either creating, cultivating, or inviting in today? Maybe clipping a bouquet of flowers and bringing them inside. Maybe watching that tomato plant grow. Have you ever smelled a tomato plant? It is heaven. Once you smell it, you won't forget it, and you will want that every year in your yard. Just rub your hand gently up and down the stem, and then smell your fingers. Ah, tomatoes in the springtime. Thank you for listening to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Be sure to subscribe. 